0: I would like the most trained CPR person there is here to come. Okay, respond to the altar call immediately, immediately. Uh, that would be very grateful. Okay, so so please do that. And secondly, I'm really emotional. I'm crying during the pledges. I mean, my goodness. And so if I break out in tears, don't worry. I'm just having a moment. <laughs> okay, all right. But anyway, we're really glad you guys are here today. And you know, last week we began our series, uh, "My Country, My Call, My Calling." And, you know, it, again, we dealt with the power of the gospel, that the hope of our country, and really the hope for any person, is, of course, only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today we want to talk about the power of repentance, the power of repentance. Now, let me encourage you. We'll have the scriptures on the screens, but don't forget you can open your electronic device, open your Bible app, look down in the corner where it says more, and click on events, and you'll see all the graphics and all the stuff right there on your device shelter where so you can take notes um, there. So I encourage you to do that, okay, if you're like silver-haired, like me, it's a really good way to follow up the sermon. You can know exactly how close we are to the end um, that way, all right? So, so I want you to do that. So what is repentance? What is repentance? Well, the classic example for repentance, you, you've seen me do this lots of times, is that we're going in one direction and we turn around and go in another direction. Um, really, probably the most one of the most important aspects of repentance, it's a change of mind. It's a change of attitude. It's a choice to see things differently through a different lens. That's what repentance is. And repentance, as you're going to hear this morning, is not the same as being sorry. Let me illustrate that for you. Okay, so let's say, you know, you go to the doctor and you get diagnosed as... Now, this is not about me. Do you get diagnosed as a diabetic? Okay, maybe it is. I don't know. But anyway, and so you go to the office where you happen to work at the church... And you look there and you see that there are some donuts. Okay? Your inner self tells you that because you're diabetic and you don't need that sugar anyway, you probably shouldn't have a donut. So you walk away for the time being. You go back, and Elaine's not watching, and Lynn's away from her desk, and Vicky's not working that day, and you say, Hey. And so you get a donut, you take it in your office, you close the door, assuming they'll think you're praying and not eating a donut. And then you eat your donut, okay? All right. You feel remorse, okay? You feel remorse, and you feel sorry you shouldn't have done that, okay? But you do nothing about the donut source out there, all right? So true repentance is not only feeling sorry you ate the donut, but it's going out there, putting the donut box on the floor, and smashing it with your feet. Then you take the box out to the dumpster and put it there. That's repentance. Repentance is more than being sorry. It's doing something about it. Someone once said, repentance is being sorry enough to stop. Now, what happens often is when we when we have a situation. And by the way, the, the big picture here is national repentance, personal repentance, and national repentance. But, you know, we get situations where we don't deal with it. And that thing keeps coming. Every a sin, you just keep going back to it. Going back to? Going back to? Well, chances are you haven't got to the source of the problem. Okay? Now, i got three situations, three scenarios I'll share with you. Okay. So you work in the mines. Okay? And you happen to work in the machine shop. All right? So you're cutting metal one day. And you cut a piece. And you reach down without your hand being glove. And as you reach down, one of the um, shavings of metal... Okay, pierces your finger like a like a hypodermic needle. Okay, and, instead, and instead you go ow, you know, like that. You know, suck the blood off. That's what men do. Suck the blood off. Okay, and just go on with it. Go on with it. Situation number two: your wife, and this of course gonna be G. Your wife tells you, honey, would you go trim the rose bush? And the reason she asked you to trim the rose bush is because she knows that roses have thorns. So she wants you to bleed and not her. Okay, so anyway, so I go out there, and, I'm sorry, hypothetically, you go out in the backyard, okay, and you start trimming the rose bush. And this particular rose bush has those hooky thorns that you know, get in like a fish hook and dig into your skin. Well, you're trimming away, and boy, you get too close, and bam, before you know it, Big old thorn in your finger, breaks off under the skin. You go to your sweet wife, you know, wanting her to call 911. And she says, put on your big boy pants and get back to work. Okay? Scenario number three. You're at the park. You're at Pure Park in Panama City Beach. And you decided, since it's vacation, you're going to pay the 4 or $5 dollars to go out on the public pier to see the fish or whatever might be out there. So you lay down your butts, and you're going down, and you put your hand on the rail, and it's amazingly smooth um, because thousands of people pay five bucks to go out on the public pier to see whatever's out there, okay? So you're just running your hand along, you know, you're on vacation, and all of a sudden what you don't see is there's one part that's not smooth, and a big old long splinter Enters your hand. It hurts. You go out and you go on your way because you're a He-Man. Alright? So, that night you get back to the uh, condo, back home, wherever you happen to be, and you you realize that your finger is really hurting. Okay? And you look, and what was just a little wound, okay, has become red and fiery. And it really hurts. I mean, you're looking at that sucker going, dang. Okay, so what you do is you go to your wife, Queen of Mercy, and you tell her that you have this shaving, this splinter, this thorn in your finger. Okay, and she goes, oh, I'll help you get it out. You're grateful for the fact she said yes, you're not grateful for the sadistic smile that's on her face. So she goes into the bathroom and comes out with this three-foot needle, okay? And she's got that smile on her face still. And you're at that point of choosing. Do I want to endure the present pain because what's going to happen, is going to get real bad when she takes that needle and plunges it in my finger? Or do I want to just live with it? That's the choice we make with repentance. When dealing with our sin in our lives. And frankly, that's a big chunk of the problem with our national sin. That those even who even think about sin are choosing just to live with it. And that's the problem. And today we want to look at a guy who really, you know, he does some amazing things. But man, he messes up. And a guy's name is Solomon. Because he really doesn't, I think, come to true repentance. You know, Thomas Watson said... Many think they repent when it is not the offense, but the penalty that troubles them. Let me read that again. Many think they repent when it is not the offense, but the penalty that troubles them. In other words, they're sorry they got caught. And repentance goes so much deeper than that. So who is this guy named Solomon? Well, Solomon was not a second famous king of Israel. His dad, David... And you know when you say David, you naturally just continue David Bathsheba, okay? So his dad, David, um, was probably the most famous king in Israel, and Solomon was number two. Now, the series after this one is Unlikely Heroes. And we're going to talk about some people that you would look at and go, God used them? It's kind of like what we say about ourselves. God used them? Well, Solomon would not make that list. He's not an unlikely hero but he is, should be an unlikely failure. I mean, he was the favorite son when, when it came time to select a, a successor to David, Bathsheba. How'd you like to have that? Can you imagine the conversations they had? Dad, can, we tell them, can you tell me how you and mom met? Be careful, dads, of your legacy and what you do, because there's going to be some stories you're going to have to tell in your life. Make sure they're a good stories. Make sure they're good stories, okay? So, so he was the favorite son. Bathsheba made sure that he became the following king because, you know, it was her favorite son. And so he becomes king, and then, here's the amazing thing. God shows up one night, you know, and God just says, Hey, tell me what you want. Just tell me what you want. And I don't, I don't know about you, but, man, I could think, like, 2019, Mustang, Mustang Shelby, you know, Todd's driving his today. I Even red would be good, you know. You know, might be that. Might be a new house, big house. Might be a new career. Might be... But, you know, Solomon goes... And again, this point is so smart. He goes, oh, no. I would like to have wisdom to rule your people. That's what i like to have. Wisdom to rule people. And it was amazing. God said, oh, wow. Okay. But well, God didn't probably say, oh, wow. But, but he said, okay. You know what? Since you asked for that, wisdom to, to rule my people... I'm going to give you everything else. It's, it's Matthew 6.33 in action. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So Solomon gets this incredible gift of wisdom. So if anyone should not fail, it should be Solomon. And he turns out to be a colossal failure. And I really think it goes back to this. He didn't dig the thorn out. There's a character flaw in Solomon that he just refused to deal with. Now, we start then in 2 Chronicles. Our, our principal players are Solomon and God. And then we start in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 11. Seven eleven. We start there, and then we look at 7-14. It's just an incredible verse for national repentance and for personal repentance. Okay? So here's, here's what I want you to notice. In 2 Chronicles 7-11... Here's what it says. Thus, now this all this is good. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord. Yay! Built the temple and the king's house. And there's no problem with that. I mean, God, you know, he built his house for God, and he built himself his own house. That's just not a deal. See, see God doesn't mind having you having stuff. It's just when your stuff has you. When your stuff owns you, there's an issue. Okay, that's where we're going to go with this. The fact that he built a a house for God is great. In fact, he built one for himself. There's no problem with that. So it goes a little further. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. All that is well and good. But what I want to do is I want to take a detour now and look at a parallel scripture in 1 Kings and we get a little bigger picture, okay? And it shows a character flaw developing in Solomon's life. The parallel scripture is 1 Kings 6, 38, and the first verse of chapter 7. So 1 Kings 6, 38, and then 7, 1. Here it goes. So it took seven years to build the temple. It took seven years to build the temple. I mean, you know, I, that's pretty impressive. You know, I, and at this point, I'm going, man, seven years he took to build the temple of God. How good that is. But then in one it says, Solomon also built a palace for himself and it took him 13 years to complete this construction. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. See, I'm not one to keep tabs, okay? Um, but let's just say this. When it rolls around time for Mother's Day— Okay, I watch the gifts that Judy gives, particularly from Rebecca. You know, I, I keep traps because I know Father's Day is coming, and I want to make sure that if it took 13 years to build her temple, I want 13 years on my temple. Okay, I want I want I I everything all equal here. Okay, so so when I read that, I went, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute!" So so you know, seven years for God's house, 13 years for Solomon's house. Somewhere it may it may just be me. It may just be me. But it seems there's an inequity there. And if anybody should have had the longer time span, building the bigger place, it should have been God, not Solomon. So you kind of wonder: is that a sign? You know. And, and if nothing else occurred, you can go, okay, no. You know, if your heart pitter-patters, you know, not have a heart attack. Okay. But you know, if it gets worse, you kind of go to the emergency room. Well, if you look just a little bit further down in First Kings nine twenty four. There's another glitch in the armor. Another sign of a character flaw. It says there in 924, 1 Kings, Pharaoh's daughter... Wait, wait, wait. Pharaoh's daughter... Now, let me tell you something about Jewish culture. Jewish boys married nice Jewish girls. That's just the way it was. Jewish boys married Jewish girls. So we're cruising along... And here's a guy that's supposed to be the smartest guy in the whole world, and all of a sudden we hear Pharaoh's daughter. Now, what had happened was he married Pharaoh's daughter, probably for a strategic reason, for a political alliance, okay? He would justify by saying, you know, if I, have, if I have Pharaoh's daughter in my house, probably Pharaoh, Egypt, will not attack me. And so he's saying, you know, there's a logical reason for that. That's called lack of faith. It's called lack of faith. Okay? Anyway, so Pharaoh's daughter, this is what's called appeasement, moved from the city of David, Jerusalem, to the house that Solomon had built for her. We'll have a house in Tuscany. Okay? So he moves Pharaoh's daughter out of Jerusalem to wherever this place is, and then he built the terraces. All right. Okay. It gets worse. It gets worse. See, character flaws are like that thorn. They get more. If you don't deal with it, it becomes bigger and nastier and nastier and nastier. Now, listen to this next scripture. This is 1 Kings 11. So just a couple of chapters down the road. King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter. So Solomon, King Solomon, loved many foreign women. Remember, good Jewish boys marry good Jewish girls, Jewish girls. Okay? And 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 on top of that, it was against God's law to marry a Gentile. Okay? So, so he loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter, Moabite, Amorite, Edenite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. What is going on? How is it that the head of state for Israel, who's supposed to be the wisest man in the world, has gone so far off course? Because he didn't get the thorn out. Guys, let me tell you something. If there is a sin going on in your life and you don't deal with it, it's going to get you. That's when we bring in John Owen, the old Puritan. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Be killing sin or it will be killing you don't store it in the garage don't put it in your closet for another day be killing sin or it will be killing you he didn't deal with the thorn he goes on we're not quite done there with Mr. Solomon first Kings 114 says this when Solomon was old when Solomon was old his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. And here's an obvious point. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. He died. Goes from, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want to loving many foreign women along with Pharaoh's daughter. How does that happen? He didn't deal with the foreign. He didn't let somebody with a needle get into his heart and get the thorn out. And we and we, when we choose, not when we're, when all we are is sorry for our sin. That's just true of nations. When all we are, when we're not, we're just sorry for our sin. And we don't repent or turn from our sin. That's the story. And let me just tell you, dad, mom, you need to know this. The story's going to end for you the same way. It's it's inevitable that if you don't deal with sin, something's going to suffer. Your marriage is going to suffer. Your career is going to suffer. Your character is going to suffer. uh, Your peace is going to suffer. Your children are going to suffer. There's so much brokenness in society because men and women do not deal with their sin. And if we deal with our sin, then Jesus can deal with our sin. Amen? Let God do the work of repentance in your life. So I'm asking directly, what is your thorn? What is your thorn? What's going on in your life? It could be bitterness. It could be anger. It could be jealousy. Whatever it is, man, don't let it fester. Trust me, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Now, now we go back to 2 Chronicles seven twelve. So, So we get this information that Solomon builds the house of God, okay, and then he builds his own house. And then in verse number 12, here's what it says. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night again. I mean, wow, to get God to appear to you once is pretty cool. He gets a second appearance from God. Now, here's the deal. All that stuff I told you happens in the future from this point. Now, God could... Have said, you know, Solomon, I look down the road, bud, and you're just not going to make the cut. You've got this thing for women. You, you got, you're going to have a wife, Pharaoh's daughter. No, man. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to follow, you're going to have many foreign wives. And you know, I'm just not sure I can use a person like you. He could have said that. But you know what? He didn't. You know why he didn't? Grace. Grace. You need to understand that. Because some of you have some real failures in your past and real failures in your future. And you need to let God's grace handle that. Amen? You need to let God, you need to know that God is a God of grace. Now, there may be some discipline involved, but a God of grace who can and will use you if you'll let him. Um, I listened to a story in my office this week. Uh, from, from a young lady. And I, I'm just saying, you're going to have to tell this story to the church. It's an amazing, amazing story of God's grace. So, God appears to Solomon again. Here's what he says. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer. I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. I have chosen this temple that you have built. Now, he didn't have to choose it. He could have said, I don't think so. Okay? Y'all watch. Now, I don't watch HGTV. All I watch is ESPN. I am a sports expert. I know round balls and oblong balls and little round balls. I'm just an ESPN for me. And I'll be at the altar. Okay, yes, I do watch HGTV. Okay? But anyway, there's a show called Love It or List It. Two people, you know, one tries to remodel the house so the couple will stay. Another one goes to find them a new house so they'll buy it. Love it or list it. Well, God could have said, list it. I don't need the temple. But he didn't. Again, and that is because of God's amazing grace. And in that, we learn of a really good truth. Let let me read to you Psalm 50, 10 through 12. And then we'll come back to that amazing truth. Here's what Psalm 50, 10 says. For every, this is God speaking, for every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. So God could have said, I do list it, I don't need that temple." Why did he say yes? Okay, you're right, to write this down. Solomon needed to give the temple more than God needed the temple. Solomon needed to give the temple more than God needed the temple. See, see, we get wrapped up. You know, Oh, well, God needs my money. He owns it all. He owns it all. Well, well God needs my talents. God needs my abilities. The church will fall apart if I don't. You know, no, no, no. Listen, sometimes we need to serve more than God needs us to serve. Sometimes we need to give more because we get more from giving. Does it make sense? It does make sense. It does. So God chose to stay. He chooses, chooses his house as a house of sacrifice for himself, not for Solomon's sake, not for I'm sorry, not for his sake, but for Solomon's sake. Solomon needed to give More than God needed to receive. Very important teaching. Very important. And that leads us down to judge and jury. 2 Chronicles 7.13. Now, I'm going to say one of those profound things preachers say. Get your pencil ready. Okay? And that is this. The precursor to 14 is 13. Isn't that profound? Aren't you glad you came to church today? The precursor to 14 is 13. And the reason I say that is is because 13 is about judgment. And here's what God's saying. I know, because I know people, y'all are going to fail in the future. Okay? And when you fail, I may have to, choose to, bring some judgment, some corrective action into your life. And, And when that happens, this is what you need to know. Now again, I think a lot of us, Perhaps too many of us have this thorn that we have not dug out and we're set for a corrective action in our lives. It's better to deal with that before the corrective action. You'll hear it at the end of the sermon. I honestly believe that America, and like many nations, but since we live in America, America is poised for some kind of corrective action. And the way we avoid that it's by repentance turning to God. And guess where that lies? It lies at our feet. Because we are the salt and light of the world. A country like America, where it is now, will not find its own way. It's like a lost sheep. The shepherd knows that he has to go after the sheep because the sheep is not smart enough to find its way home. America, this is good. America is not going to find its way back to God unless God's people shows America. That is so, so true. That's why it's important we experience personal repentance so we can lead the charge for national repentance. All right. So here's what it says. When I shut... See, it's it's a presupposed thing. When I shut up the heavens... So that there is no rain. So God says, you know, when I choose to pull back the rain, or I command the locust to devour the land, or I send pestilence among my people. So 13 is the precursor to 14. So in the future, if you need a corrective action because of your sin, if I choose to do that, here's the way home. And we need to say to America today... You know, if you are poised for a corrective action, okay, here's the way home. And the way home is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The way, listen, listen, this has nothing, if you think for a moment that the right party or the right person in the House or in the Senate or in the White House or even in Springfield, if you think that is the answer for America, you are seriously misled. Jesus Christ is the answer to America's sin. It's, I was so impressed with Brian's prayer. I don't know if you take time to listen to these people, people pray. It was so good. He, he said that very thing in his prayer. That the answer is not a man. It's not a personality. It's not a party. It is Jesus Christ. So if we're poised for that, here's the way home. This is how you're going to dig the thorn out of your finger. Here's the way home for personal repentance And here's the way home for national dependence. Number one, to remember who you are. To remember who you are. He says, and this all comes under 714 now. At the very start of 714, he says, If my people who are called by my name. If my people who are called by my name. God says... When my people call, I respond to my kids. So when the, church, when the church gets serious with God, then God can get serious with America. When the church gets serious with God, then God can get serious in America. When the church gets serious with God, then God can start laying the groundwork for national revival. It might be in the form of correctional action. It may be harder days before easier days, but it sets up the scene for God to do something big. And that the willingness for the church to be the church lies in understanding who you are. Let me bless your heart today. Okay. In first Peter chapter two and verse number nine, here's what God says. But you are a chosen race. Now, again, this is New Testament stuff. This is New Testament. You, by the way, you could take those words, if my people are called by my name, slap it right in the New Testament, it would fit. But he goes, you are a chosen race. Now, that's not talking about skin color. It's talking about a blood transfusion. It's talking about you meeting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and my watch is telling me I, I, I failed. I didn't. I'm telling you, do call 911. Okay? Seriously, that's what it does. Okay? So, so, here you go. You know, God gives us a blood transfusion when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ. New blood flows in our veins. We have royal blood flowing in our veins. Okay? So, it's a chosen race. A race called the body of Christ. It, trans- it transcends language. It transcends race, skin color. It transcends economic status. It's all that. It transcends all that. A chosen race. A royal priesthood. See, we're priests because we can go directly to God. We don't need to have somebody in the middle. And it's royal because of the blood of Jesus Christ. has applied to our lives. Um, you're a holy nation. A set-apart. The word holy means set-apart. A set-apart nation. A people for his own possession. I like that. We fit in God's treasure box. You know, Zephaniah says he sings over us with exuberant singing. We are the apple of his eye. We the people of the church. The apple of his eye. And we fit right at home in his treasure. That's who you are. Now, now, see, if Satan keeps convincing you that all you are is a failure and all you ever will be is a failure and that you can't do nothing, okay, that's where you're going to stay. You know, I keep telling you, you know, we got this little saying in the bathroom. I mean, ever, do you all have sayings in your bathroom? Well, you live with Judy Taylor, you would, you know. You know, it's, here it is. It's not who you think you are that holds you back. It's who you think you are not. It's not who you think you are that holds you back. It's who you think you're not. And if you think that you're not worthy, you're not a child of God. You're not victorious. You not. You cannot win. That's how you're going to live your life. But if you understand that you've been blood-bought by the Lord Jesus Christ, that God loved you enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a Roman cross, when you understand how precious you are to God, you start living that way and things change. Things just change. You are. That's who you are. It goes on... That you may proclaim, see, that's the purpose of all that. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the power of the gospel. Once you were not a people, you're an orphan. You're an alien. You were not a people. But now you are God's people. Do you see that apostrophe S? That's possessive. See, when you got a, grand, a daughter who's an English teacher, you learn this stuff. Everything I need to know about grammar, I learned from Becca. But that's an apostrophe. Well, I have learned it all, John. <laughs> you could tell. <laughs> that apostrophe, yes, it's possessive. It means God possesses me. Come on now. God possesses me. I, I, once, I once was not a people. But then, along comes Jesus Christ, Dies on the cross. Forgives my sins. I become a child of God. And God owns me. God possesses me. You are God's people. And listen, he goes, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What a game changer. And when you start living that and believing that, we are primed and ready to be the people that God needs for us to be. To bring revival to America. To bring revival. Revival to America. When is that possible? Have you read your Bible? Those Israelites were, were heathens. But God still loved them and chose them and brought many revivals in there. And no, it's not too late. So then remember who you are and then remember who you are not. Real short here He's God and you're not. He's God. And you're not. we got to quit telling God how much he needs us and start telling him how much we need him. Let me say that again. We need to spend less time on our knees. Oh, God, I know you need me. Aren't you glad I'm on your team, Jesus? We need to get on our face before God and say, Oh, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. We need to tell God how much we need him. And so he says here, humble yourselves, humble themselves and pray. Humility and prayer, humility and prayer. Oh, over in First Peter 5, 5 and 6, it says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Oh, we need to relearn that. We think we have the right to diss anybody. And by the way, I'm from the generation, no matter who sits in the chair at the White House, you respect the office. No matter who sits in the chairs of the House or Senate, if you, if you can't speak with respect to the President, keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. You've got to go to the upper room. And you get there, and Jesus takes off his outer garment, and he puts a towel. That's clothed for humility. Clothed all of you, all of you, clothe yourself with humility. Because with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That word opposes means resist. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. So God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, declare their, not their independence, declare their dependence on God and that they might pray. Have you read Ezra chapter 9? Ezra is setting the same time frame as Nehemiah. The, some of the exiles are coming back from Babylon and they're now in Jerusalem. Things are pretty chaotic. And by the way, guess what's going on? The leaders are marrying foreign women. Wonder where they learned that from. The leaders, you know? Okay? So Ezra's heart is broken. This is what he says. This is Ezra 9, 5, and 6. At the evening offering, I got up from my time of humiliation. He was broken over this. See, he was smitten over the sin of the nation. Are you smitten over the sins of America? Are you broken? Over the sins of America, does it break your heart that abortion is becoming more prevalent, not less? That our state just recently passed the most broad-based abortion bill there is. That our nation just became a state of legalized marijuana—is that, legalize marijuana? that grief you? That twenty-five miles or thirty miles from here, there's going to be MM gambling, at a new casino—is that grieve you? Sure, it should. At the evening offering, I got up from my time of humiliation with my tunic and robe torn. I fell on my knees. Now listen to this. I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord, my God, and I said, My God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift my face towards you. When's the last time that crossed your mind? You are so ashamed and embarrassed, you are ashamed to lift your face toward God. Because... Our iniquities are higher than our heads, and our guilt is as high as the heavens. You see the pronoun there? Are. He owns the national sin. Do you think Ezra had married a foreign Mormon? Nope. But he identifies with the national sin. You're going to hear this in the last message of this series. It's very, and he goes on. You know, our guilt. Verse 7, our guilt has been terrible from the days of our fathers until the present. Because of our iniquities, we have been handed over along with our kings and priests to the surrounding kings and to the sword and captivity and plundering and open shame as it is today. So he prays this powerful prayer that our sins are over our heads. We need to get broken about our sin. We need to get broken about our national sin. It needs to grieve. Then finally he says this. This is the classic repentance. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. There it is. Seek my face. What's repentance? It's going one direction and turning away in another. It's doing what we want to do as people, doing what we want to do as a nation, and turning away from that to follow God. If my people will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. You know, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you know, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And that begins in the house of God. That's a good place for an amen. That begins in the house of God. We've got to seek God with all of our heart. We we need to quit worrying about things that don't matter and worry about the one thing that does. And that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. We are so worried about things that don't matter. We've got to seek the kingdom of God. Seek my face. Turn from your wicked ways. You know, that looks like Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me to the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's a... God, get your microscope out, and would you see if there's a thorn in that festered area? I'm spiritually festered. I need to know what's going on, God. My character's festered. My integrity's festered. My marriage is festered. My children, the way I'm raising them is festered. Would you get your microscope and see what's going on there so we can take care of the issue? Search me, O God, and know my heart. I love this quote by J.I. Packer. I'll say it as slow as I can. Repentance is more than just sorrow for the past. Repentance is a change of mind and heart, a new life of denying self and serving the Savior as king in self's place. That's true repentance. Is there something that we need to take care of in our hearts, in our lives? And then this is the last. This is the crown of 714. Then God says, I will hear them from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and heal their land. That's His desire. Now I'm going to be candid. And I'm just a small-town preacher in Southern Illinois. You know, some of them big dog guys can get people to people listen to this. But here's my opinion. You know, I don't know if it's too late to avert God's corrective action or not for America. On a national scale, I don't know if it's too far down the river. And that, that doesn't mean God's throwing America under the bus. It just simply means there's a corrective action coming, perhaps, to bring America back. But I do know this. It's not too late for individuals. God is still saving people. He's still in the saving business. And his desire is that America could have their sin forgiven, both corporately on the small scale, and I would love to heal this land. Why? Because that's his heart. His heart. How do you know that's his heart, Dwayne? Oh, i got a scripture, of course. <laughs> Second Peter 3, 8, 9. Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, patient with them, patient with men, women, and children, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repent. Aren't you glad we got a patient God? I'm so glad. I'm so glad He's God of you know second chances and third chances and 321st chances. I'm so grateful for that. And God's desire is that men and women in Africa and Central Asia and Spain and America come to repentance. That's what this. That's what this was all about. The whole purpose of this was that people could come to repentance. So it's not too late for that. I came up with my own little quote. It is possible and perhaps probable that today is the day of ebbing tide. You know what ebbing tide is? I'm I'm a Florida boy. Ebbing tide is that time when the tide is neither going in or coming out. It's that magic few minutes when it's in between high tide and, and you know low tide. It's in that point before the tide starts going out, okay, and the tide's not coming in. The ebbing tide. And by the way, it's normally a very short period of time. So perhaps this is a day of ebbing tide, the day to still experience his grace and word His judgment. That ebbing time, that short period of time where perhaps we avert his corrective action and receive, experience, his grace. We want to close the service day. Well, actually, we're going to close the sermon and begin our invitation time in a very special way. I I think it was last year, and it it may have been um, 17, I don't know. But um, Billy Graham's daughter... Ann Bell, Ann Bell was the, pre- the chairman of the National Prayer Committee on National Day of Prayer. And she wrote a, it's almost like a responsive reading prayer. And uh, I'm going to ask Bob Lane to come up in just a minute. And they're going to lead us in this. And uh, I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment. And you have a small part of this. They're going to read that prayer. And then I'm, we need for you to respond with... You know, Lord, hear our prayer. And it's a powerful statement. Um, and like I said, if you're not comfortable doing that, that's fine. But I really hope that you would be. But it's a powerful statement, a calling out to God of repentance of our national sins. So, Father Lane, if you'll come on up, please, and lead us in this time. And then we'll go into our regular decision time um, after this. So let me go ahead and ask you to stand your feet. And uh, this will be on the screen for you.
1: So you can follow along. We confess our foolishness of denying you as the one true living God, our creator to whom are accountable living as though our lives are a cosmic accident with no eternal significance purpose or meaning congregation Lord, Lord hear our, our prayers
2: we confess we're no longer fear you and this we have not even the beginning of wisdom with which to handle the visit the vast knowledge we possess. Lord, hear our
1: prayer. We confess to believing that the prosperity of our nation is because we are great, while refusing to acknowledge that all blessings come from your hand. Lord, hear our prayer.
2: We confess that we depend upon our military might and our weapon systems to protect us from harm and danger, while denying, defying, and ignoring you.
1: We confess that we have succumbed to the pressure of pluralism and our desire to be inclusive so that we honor other gods as though you are just one of many. Lord, hear our prayer. We
2: confess that we have allowed the material blessings you have given us to deceive us into thinking we don't need you.
1: Lord, hear our prayer. We confess that we feel entitled what someone else has earned instead of taking responsibility for ourselves and our families as we trust in you. Lord, hear our prayer.
2: We confess that we live as though material wealth and prosperity will bring happiness. Lord, hear our prayer.
1: We confess our greed that has run up trillions of debt in our nation.
2: We confess our arrogance and pride that has led us to think we are sufficient in ourselves.
1: We confess our national addiction to sex, to money, to pleasure, to entertainment, to pornography, to technology, to drugs, to alcohol, to food, to television, to popularity, to ourselves. Lord, hear our prayer.
2: We confess that we have marginalized truth and mainstream
1: lies. Lord, hear our prayer. We confess that we have become one nation under many gods, divided and polarized with license to sin and justice that often does not follow the rule of law. Lord, hear our prayer. And everyone say... May
0: God have mercy on us. Amen. you just remain standing, please, thank you guys so much. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. This will go into our regular decision time. I really pray that God spoke to your heart. You heard clearly today about the power of the gospel to save you. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, I hope you heard enough today to know how much God loves you. And he wants to forgive your sins and give you a brand new future, a brand new hope. And Brother Brent would be standing down front. If you'll just come and say, Brent, I want to know about that Jesus that Dwayne talked about, that I might have forgiveness of my sins. And then if you're here today and as an American citizen, you're just you're driven and then you understand the need for personal repentance in your life and then also national repentance. And if you'd like to come to the altar and pray, we would love to have you do that. If we can pray with you about anything, we would like to do that today. So God, thank you so much for this very special service. Father, speak to our hearts. Grieve our hearts. Father, as we read that prayer this morning, I'm just going, Lord, Father, it's so much us. And, Father, I pray that you will rise up, help the church to rise up and be the church. Father, may the personal repentance lead to a national repentance in our country. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.